You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Oh, yes, hello. I didn't hear you come in. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Criterion releases Portrait of a Lady on Shampoo. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table and discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. So elementary. One has two good movies, the other two lesser ones. Let the dissension begin. Ugh. I am Adam Thomas of the New Yorker. And I am Thomas Mariani, just sitting here with my Chardonnay and my Wes Anderson collection. Look at it, it's so beautiful. Oh, my mustache curled even further. Yes, of course, yes. I'll, I'll trace this with a PBR later. But uh, we're not the only pedestrians here, Adam, uh, because we have a third in our cadre uh, here. It is uh, a returning guest, the enigmatic... Ryan Quarterman. Ryan, welcome. Oh, please, just let me put away my copy of Sallow, and then we can get to work on this podcast. Oh, it's like the devil's freeway, but more pretentious. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) we can't keep this (laughs) up. Let's do it the whole episode, Tom. (laughs) So, Shampoo, welcome. Um, No, we're we're not doing that. Um, Welcome. I'm sorry if this is your first episode of Double H. Doubleville. You just heard this terrible intro. Um, But welcome to Double H. Doubleville, where every week we cover a good and a bad feature that's randomly selected at the end of the previous episode. Um, today we're talking about Criterion Collection releases. Oh, yes, Criterion. <laughs> quite, quite, yes, yeah, we're, we're covering Criterion, which, if you don't know, it is a sort of a multimedia home video release company that has been around since 1984. Um, and they traditionally do, like, these big, elaborate, um, bonus features, uh, filled collections of these actual movies and um, i'll just read their mission statement here from their official website since 1984 the criterion collection has been dedicated to publishing important classic and contemporary films from around the world in editions that offer the highest technical quality and award-winning original supplements no matter what the medium from laserdisc to dvd and blu-ray to streaming criterion has maintained its pioneering commitment to presenting each film as its maker would want it to be seen in state-of-the-art restorations with special features designed to encourage repeat watching and deepen the viewer's appreciation of the art of film (laughs) (laughs) and ryan we definitely wanted to have you back on for this episode in particular because uh you are a fiend for physical media in particular criterions (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of my crack. Like, I, uh, I, I look forward to the Criterion sales every year. Like, 
it's basically like my own personal holiday. I just go crazy for them. I buy, you know, handfuls. I got to know the guy at Barnes and Noble. He gives me sick recommendations. He helps me save things and tell the sale. So he's he's the best. Shout outs to that dude. I don't know his name, but he's real, real sweet old guy. <laughs> well, well, no, yeah. Uh, if you don't know, by the way, Criterion does have these uh, twice yearly right sales. It's like in July and November, yes. where they're July and November. all there's features which do run pretty pricey. They can be around like forty dollars, even at the average per like set. They are half off, and you can do that either at an actual board and brick Barnes and Noble location. Or you can buy them online and have them at the Barnes & Noble website and have them shipped to you. We're not sponsored by Criterion or Barnes & Noble, but for the record, please, we'll shill <laughs> you out so hard. Um, I know they're fans. They're listening. They probably listened to the Full Moon episode right after that's how they came on to us. Our theme song would have to be by Chopin. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, if you can at all drop the voice, um, you've admitted to me that you haven't really delved into the physical side of things but you're aware of criterion right is a thing yeah of course i mean it's you know anybody who considers himself a sort of movie fan or anything like that i i wager they've heard of criterion i mean i used to be a huge physical media collector too for quite a while there and i had some of their releases what they were i don't know i pretty much just bought whatever but uh yeah you know of course i know who they are and i will stop doing the voice but just know that anytime the word criterion is said, I probably will go. Mm. <laughs> As you've done often on the show, this is a running gag. Listen to the previous episodes to get in. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I remember the first time I bought a criterion, or at least I came in possession to it, was secondhand through, um, and of course, of all things, because they release all of his movies to some degree. It was uh, Royal Tenenbaums uh, from Wes Anderson. And I remember distinctly thinking, this is very different from, like, your average DVD. Because, like, one, no previews at the beginning. Two, no obnoxious menus. Three, like, a bunch of supplements instead of just theatrical trailer. And previews for other movies that you can watch. Because I was a real physical media kid uh, growing up. And I remember just distinctly also watching, like, on TV, Royal Tenenbaums. On, of all things, like, early 2000s Comedy Central. Like, in between Tomcats. And saving Silverman or some bullshit. They for some reason. Oh, Tom, that is high quality cinema. Why isn't that a Criterion release? I completely agree. And saving Silverman. I mean, it's Jerry O'Connell, guys. <laughs> he deserves his own collection on the channel. Clearly, yes, for sure. Um, and that that's also something we should mention. Uh, Adam, you have at least used the Criterion streaming service a bit. Yeah, so I've perused. Yeah, I, I've watched a couple movies on there for, for the show, and then. Sort of just did a little bit of browsing through it. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty reliable, uh, well, not reliable, but user friendly streaming service. Yeah, and they got a quite a selection of anything you might be in the mood for, as far as uh, any genre as well. Yeah, it's a really diverse collection of stuff. It's also interesting when you kind of go back to the history of Criterion, where, like I mentioned, they started in 1984 with some laser discs like Citizen Kane, which has never been released in DVD or anything else. It's one of those weird ones like RoboCop and Ghostbusters that had laser disc releases early on in like Criterion's history, um, and even like their second disc was King Kong, which had the first audio commentary, which is a very fascinating thing. You can actually listen to it. I was able to on Filmstruck back when that was a streaming service, which kind of combined Turner Classic Movies and Criterion, and it's so funny. We we're just like, this is a brand new innovation. This is a lecture track. 
because they had no idea what the fucking audio commentary would be. <laughs> do they still call them lecture tracks because it's Criterion? I bet they do. <laughs> I believe it just says a commentary, but I bet they would. <laughs> they got, like a falconeer and some science physicist on the track, just talking together. Yeah, that'd be great. Pretentious animals, both of you. <laughs> Well, Ryan, um, when did you become first a pretentious asshole and get a criterion? Uh, uh, I actually, I had this friend named Aiden, and he was really into criterions, and I wasn't. I didn't really know anything about it at the time. And we were working at the movie theater together, and I won a competition and got a gift card. He told me, he's like, dude, you should use that gift card and order your first Criterion. And I said, you know what? That, that sounds cool. Let's do that. Let's take a look at what we got. I looked on their website, and, and around that time, they had just released a copy of Lars von Trier's Antichrist. And that's one of my favorite movies, period. And so I immediately bought it, and I fell in love. It's gorgeous. Like, the books in it are so cool. And from there on out, I would kind of end up buying these Criterions, even for films that I knew nothing about. Just if I liked the cover, I would pick them up and, you know, take a shot. And it didn't always work, but more often than not, you can at least appreciate what you're getting out of it and if anything else like the physical media thing adam and i have definitely talked about this off mic but i encourage at least the idea of like a physical media company continuing in light of you know recent days where physical media is kind of becoming the way of the dodo i like that you're at least companies like them or even scream factory for more uh genre releases or uh vinegar syndrome that at least kind of cater to physical media still kind of existing to some degree because there's going to be a point where unfortunately we just kind of like avoid it in general It'll be a bummer when it happens. Yeah. Well, you know, what are you going to do, man? You guys will always have your Criterion Blu-rays. <laughs> hey, you said stop doing the voice. <laughs> you were going to stop it. <laughs> Dude, come on now. You, you, can't, you no. can't put a fucking chain on this puppy. <laughs> like, hey, it's going to happen. I can't stop this. <laughs> uh, but we should get to our two features uh, that we picked, like I said at the beginning, at the end of our last episode uh, that are released on the Criterion Collection to some degree um first we have our bad pick which was from adam's choices though patrons over at patreon.com slash pod ended up picking shampoo as our bad choice and then we'll be doing my good pick which is portrait of a lady on fire so uh two very different films that at least still have some interesting thematic parallels or at least they're both about fucking so yeah there's that yeah, <laughs> Nice. People be fucking. That should be the tagline of our. <laughs> so people be fucking. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, let's first get into shampoo. I go into that shop and they're so great looking, you know. And I and I, I'm doing their hair and they feel great and they smell great. That's it. Makes me feel like I'm gonna live forever. Columbia Pictures presents shampoo. It's the story of a Beverly Hills hairdresser and all the beautiful people he does. Face it, we're always trying to nail them and they know it. They don't like it. I like it and I don't like it. That means I don't love him. Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, Goldie Hawn, Lee Grant, Jack Warden, Tony Bill, Shampoo. So Shampoo uh, came out on February 11th, 1975 uh, from Hal Ashby, who at this point had made stuff like Harold and Maude and The Last Detail and would go on to do like Being There and some other like a really big 70s director who did like 
Bound for Glory as well, really big ones, um, and then really headed off into the 80s in like a drug-fueled haze. That was kind of a bummer. And even before this, he was an editor. He had won an Oscar for editing In the Heat of the Night, of all things, which also has a Criterion wow. release. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is um, one also written by and starring Warren Beatty. And if you don't know, basically, it's about Warren Beatty playing a hairdresser in 1968, specifically right before Nixon was officially announced as the president of the United States. It was really weird watching this right after the election, by the way, because <laughs> you kind of felt <laughs> a similar kind of like pent up tension of sorts there. Um, but it's mostly about while that's going on, you see some hippies and there's some mentions of stuff from 68. It's mostly about Warren Beatty going around uh, as a hairdresser having sex with various different women, which include uh, the major three, at least Julie Christie, Goldie Hawn, and Lee Grant. Um, and, you know, sort of like a, a hangout movie, a movie about sort of like L.A. in the specific time and place. And Adam, you brought this to the table as a bad pick. So uh, why don't you yeah. tell us uh, why you're not a big fan of it and maybe if that's changed at all or not. It has not changed at all. When I first saw it, I thought it was overtly sort of meandering and uh long-winded i still feel it is that in a way and i always wondered why i hated warren Beatty, and now i know why it's because of this fucking movie i can't get mad at him for his like his choice of belts like they're fantastic belts <laughs> very true <laughs> <laughs> wonderful belts guys <laughs> wonderful belts should be on the you know that's that's my reason but no it's um you know it's just He's so unredeemable and unlikable as a character to me. Like, he's a real sort of piece of shit. And I understand not every movie needs to have, like, sort of the hero character, the redeemable character. But at the end, they want you to sort of feel sympathy for him, I think. And But maybe it is in the way you're like, oh, look at this poor bastard. He deserves it. He's a loser. But I don't know, man. I didn't get that. Like, I got that they're trying to, like, well, he's finally figured out who he wants to be with or whatever the fuck. There's a lot of wigs in this movie, too. you know carrie fisher's in it that was kind of cool like it took me a second because she's so young yeah where i was like is that carrie fisher but you know i'm like maybe it's just some weird redhead kid that looks like her i don't know there's a lot of good performances in it i I will give it that warren Beatty's probably to me maybe the weakest just stop with the chin and the raised eyebrow the whole time like i just can't handle it stop with your face just stop having stop that face. <laughs> like, it looks like shoe leather. Like, it's really rough, you know? It's meandering bullshit. Like, I don't give a fuck about this asshole's day-to-day. Like, all he does is just try to sit... Well, he doesn't even try. He just has sex with women all day. And then once they all, like, kind of get wise to his shit and leave him, he's like, oh, woe is me. Well, fuck him. Who cares? Why do, why do I don't watch this for an hour and 50 minutes? I, I just don't, I don't care. Well, Ryan, I know you had seen this before, and you were kind of dreading when we told you that the patrons voted for this. Um, yes. How do you feel about it, you know, from that context, and then how do you feel about it now, having watched it again? Okay, so first off, your patrons know nothing about bad criterions, because fucking Armageddon, Benjamin Button, and Jellyfish Eyes are all on the table, well, and you guys went with fucking well, shampoo. Sure. Well, right, to be fair, the choices that Adam had were between that and Beware the Blob, of all things, because that's on the streaming service. There's at least more to talk about, I would say, with this one, but continue. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Anyway, anyway, um, I fully agree with what uh, with what you're saying, Adam. I don't feel 
as vitriolic towards it. It's it's certainly the weakest of the Hal Ashby films that are on the Criterion collection. Uh, I would recommend being there, or even more so Harold and Maude, which is my favorite of his films in the collection. But yeah, um, it's interesting for me. I see it as sort of like a prototype to what would become like something like a Magic Mike, which it was done far better. Uh, but... I also think Soderbergh's a stronger director than Hal Ashby ever was. It's frustrating because its heart seems to be somewhat in the right place. It just has no idea how to execute making this guy, making you actually feel for this guy and what he's going through. Yeah, um, this is the first time I had seen this, and I was kind of curious, because I I think the only knowledge I have this really was that, as I mentioned, it was Carrie Fisher's first movie. And uh, there's a lot to unpack with her appearance. A lot. Um, but in terms of uh, the movie in general, it's just like, okay, I don't know. We kind of talked about this even, Ryan, that like for you and I, Warren Beatty just seems like a non-entity. Because as we were sort of like growing up, Warren Beatty was not in movies at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I think the only movie I saw of Warren uh, Beatty's before, like, four or so years ago was, like, Dick Tracy. And he's, like, the <laughs> least memorable thing about Dick Tracy, despite being Dick Tracy. All I knew about him was the Bullworth tr- uh, poster. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Real talk, that, that Bullworth poster was, like, terrifying to me as a kid. It's like, what's happening? <laughs> what is this? But you're, you're no ghetto superstar, Tom. No, that's not what I am at all, no. Um, but in terms of this movie, sitting down and watching it, I agree that I don't like it, but at the same time, I find that there's a lot of interesting pieces that make me kind of pine back to you. I agree with what you're saying, definitely, Ryan, about the Magic Mike comparison. Because yeah. there's at least, like, the same kind of thing about, oh, hey, he's this, like, studly dude who goes around doing his particular job, which is all about him, kind of, like, priming around at the same time though with magic mike what's so interesting is you get a perspective of like what he really wants what he sort of desires and i know with this movie they're definitely kind of trying to equate warren Beatty's journey throughout the movie to kind of like the weird place of 1968 where it's like hey he doesn't know really where he's going kind of sounds like the country right (laughs) <laughs> get it uh, which is interesting given it's like yeah, 1975 it's kind of like if we were to do the same thing but for 2012 <laughs> like right now right. yeah well you know and the thing is I, I don't disagree with the Magic Mike comparison either uh, I, I thought of instantly like um, American Gigolo which is not also not a great movie mm-hmm. but it's better than this one or, or even a movie that came out around the time this movie is set with like a Midnight Cowboy Though that has a yeah, much, yeah, much yeah, yeah. more sympathetic character, even though it's played by John Voight. Um. <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> oh. No, you know, the thing is, I remember Warren Beatty growing up a little bit. Like, he, obviously, I wasn't seeing a lot of Warren Beatty movies in the 80s, because A, by the end of the 80s were over, I was only seven. So I wasn't really previewed to a lot of them. But I remember, like, Bugsy. I remember, you know, Bullworth. I remember Dick Tracy, because I saw that at the theater and i want my money back still but I, I you know i just remember not liking him i just some about him some about him some about him and then i remember i saw shampoo with my grandma oh. when i was young whoa <laughs> whoa dude she was she just let me watch whatever the hell i wanted and she would just put something on it like oh, okay there's boobs but you know yeah but it's like everything else in this movie is so much better than him 
I get he's the right. writer producer, and that's sort of he stretched himself a little too thin. But then seeing other Warren Beatty performances, he's kind of this sort of wooden and everything. Like he, there's not much to Warren Beatty as far as performance wise, and but like everybody else in this is acting just they're better than him in every way. Every side character, every female performance, even the fucking like the the rich guy whose wife he's doing and his mistress, like Oh, Jack Warden is one of my favorite character actors and he's so good in this fucking movie. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. The last movie I remember seeing him is fucking dirty work with Norm MacDonald, which is wah wah wah. But anyways, it, it's just like I get movies that come out in the seventies like, oh yeah, no, this movie could only exist in the seventies, perfect for that era, but I don't even see that in this. The only thing to me that ties this to any sort of time period is the Nixon election, which is sort of like you could do that anytime with any election or any major political event. And it's so sort of ham fisted and like, ah, see what's going on. The country's changing. So must this man like no shit. Like we got it. It's not clever to me. It's not smart. It's it, it, there's nobody like who's the likable character in this other than maybe, um, fucking, uh, Oh God. Goldie Gold Hawn. Hawn. Yeah. Goldie yeah. Hawn. She's the only. She's the one that feels the most innocent out of everybody in this movie. Right. She's the best. Yeah. Even though she gets sidelined constantly, but at the same time, you're. I, I love the scene where he comes in and it's just like, "Hey, let me do your hair," and I'm just gonna go in the kitchen here and chill for a bit. And like, "Oh, you're great! <laughs> like, you're great." Well, how am I great? I don't know. You're great. <laughs> like, those are the scenes where I get where it's going more and i think that's kind of fascinating it's almost as if like i wished it was more from like these women's perspectives as he floated in like he wasn't sort of our main point of the whole story like us following him but he was just sort of a character that floated throughout these other people's lives and we kind of focused more on their perspective because i I do agree especially um lee grant won an oscar for this movie which to be fair i think is also influenced by she was blacklisted for a while and this was sort of like a big comeback movie for her and i think people Uh are kind of like giving it to her to some extent for it, but I still think she's phenomenal. I think particularly, like, the sequences where, say, she finds out that Carrie Fisher has had, her daughter has had sex with this guy, and it's one of those, like, pause moments where it's her constantly like, oh, this is so horrible, and also her daughter is, like, using this to manipulate her, but also, oh, wait, statutory rape at the same time. Yep, yep, there's a lot of problems with that. Uh, At the same time, I think, like, her performance with Julie Christie, I feel so empathetic for Julie Christie in this movie just in terms of like oh man you gotta deal with this motherfucker and then he comes back to you just saying like hey baby i want to marry you and spend the rest of my life with you it's like girl oh i know he's such a people. i'll go back to in terms of your thing of like the movie taking place at its time i kind of like the strategy that the movie is sort of more about you know taking place in this particular time which would be so mythologized even after this movie of 68 and just kind of saying, oh yeah, people just kind of lived in L.A. and it wasn't like, oh, sunny L.A., the city of stars, shattered lights. This place is like smoggy and shitty. <laughs> and people live in their <laughs> like shadowy, dank houses that look awful <laughs> and tacky. I like the fact that it kind of shows like, oh yeah, in the middle of like all this huge upheaval, like people are just kind of living their lives. It'll be like whenever they do like the coronavirus movies, hopefully way later, and it'll be like, oh my god, such big rambunctious times what were you doing during that time grandpa i don't know i was in my house i didn't fucking leave (laughs) (laughs) i got that Pornhub subscription (laughs) (laughs) but i do like your take to where he'd be like a hairdressing mad max 
you know, where he just had some of these people's lives. I think that would actually be kind of cool. Uh, he's just, a, like I said, he's a boring, bland character to sort of center the movie on. I'd much rather follow the female leads. Much, yeah. much. Um, but, but how do you feel about it, especially how it uses its setting, Ryan? I, I actually think it does an uh, okay job. I, I like what you brought up about it being kind of smoggy, and it's, it, it's not the idealized, you know, 60s, 70s LA. It's, it's a more down-to-earth, realistic one. I don't think it uses elements of its time to its full benefit. Like, uh, and it's something that I think Adam brought up earlier where it could have taken place really any time. They just use the Nixon election. Cause it really does like, aside from the clothes that they're wearing, it doesn't feel like it needs to take place right at the moment that it's taking place. Well, right. And it's also interesting because Beatty apparently started writing it around that time and the movie ended up being made right smack dab in the middle of Watergate and came out, like, the early part of the Ford years. So I think that might also be what kind of people put onto it at that time. It's just like, oh yeah. my god, it's so, uh, it's, it's like going right back. And I can't believe it. It's just, like, blowing my mind. Even though, like, what I kept thinking of is another movie that kind of projected itself about a decade or so from its time in the 70s and kind of did a better job of capitalizing on that time and also people kind of living in it with American Graffiti. Yes. I think American Graffiti is the much better version of this movie on, like, every conceivable level. <laughs> um, it's because yeah. it's all about the hero's journey, to quote Lucas, um, <laughs> in, in that particular case. Also, a movie that deserves a Criterion release. I would definitely argue with American Graffiti. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but that movie kind of ushered in a lot of, like, the 60s nostalgia craze that, like, I think right around this time is when Happy Days starts... And obviously Ron Howard coming over to that. So it feels like it kind of really was the right movie at the right time. Also considering just like, oh, it's so like freely sexual and all this other stuff. I get why it was an important film in that specific era. But I think coming back to it, it almost feels like it's, like I said, a bit of um, the Midnight Cowboy, a bit of American Graffiti. And also even with like sort of the smogginess of L.A., another movie I would recommend over this one, honestly. And one that deserves a criterion, uh, The Long Goodbye. The Elliot Gold, like, detective movie. That's kind of him meandering around. All of them are pretty much much better explorations of a lot of these themes that I would recommend over this movie. Because it's like Adam said, it's kind of dull. It's just him going around fucking these people who are way more interesting than him or fucking over. Like, even Jack Warden, I think, is probably the best example of utilizing the time. Because he's some duffy Republican dude who's just like, oh, we don't have to worry about Iowa. That's fine. We'll we'll end up doing that. It's fine. <laughs> the only scene that really, to me, has any sort of like, oh shit, gotta watch this, is when they're at the party, mm-hmm. and there's so many tense scenes of just, you know, three or four people standing looking at each other, barely talking, or if they are, it's, it's clear, just like sort of misdirection conversation. A lot of, oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I could do that. That looks great. Like a lot of that shit, and that that's really well done. Uh, and then they just go to the hippie party and everybody starts banging again. You're like, well, great. Well, I guess we, you had one, about one scene of pure on really good storytelling. Uh, and then it just sort of reverts back to Warren Beatty being a pig. To be fair, there's, I would argue there's some of that in the hippie party, particularly my favorite, probably physical bit in the movie is Jack Warden with a drink in hand at the hippie party looking very awkward, and there's a guy with a joint trying to offer it to him, and he's like, oh, no, no, I got a drink. Oh, yeah, he tells. <laughs> yeah, he tells. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I'll show like that, which really just comes from, I, the like we mentioned, like, the supporting cast is so phenomenal. Like, who would you say is your favorite of the female characters? 
the the mistress, the one he's in love with. Yeah, Julie Christie. Yeah, I like Julie Christie, man. I I, I think she's like you said before. Uh, she's got more layers to her than sort of, um, you know. Uh, oh my god, dude! What the fuck is wrong with me? Tonight? To be fair, look, <laughs> I, I will say this: there were many points during this movie, and, I just and well, there were. You know, I was just even watching it yesterday, and there were many points in this movie. And I'm sorry to both these actresses who do actually look distinct, but in this movie. Lee Grant and Julie Christie kind of melded together for me a lot. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I'm more of, I like the Julie Christie character a lot more. Maybe it's her performance I really like. Uh, even though she's not as sort of sympathetic and innocent as the Goldie Hawn character. But I feel she has the most sort of layers to her character as well. Like, she feels... You know, like she has the most at stake in either of these relationships that she might get involved with. Like, does she stick with this old fuck for his money and perhaps to, you know, sort of live a lavish lifestyle? Or does she go with this dude who, you know, lack or better term, gives it to her real good? You know what I mean? Like, so I, I felt like she was at least the most more um, human of the female leads where she, there was definitely a lot more sort of contrivances and uh, self-inflicted consequences to her character. Yeah. It also helps that Julie Christie's kind of more sympathetic in terms of like, she didn't really want to do the movie, but she was dating Warren Beatty at the time. And he oh, was God. cheating around with Goldie Hawn during this whole movie. And then they broke up. This, this movie is just his life. I know th Basically. That's the thing. It feels so much weirdly autobiographical to that extent. And it's interesting because, uh, because I hadn't seen much Warren Beatty right before this, I watched Heaven Can Wait, which I had yes. heard was like a good movie. And I do agree. I think that's a much better movie. And I think it's because Beatty knows how to utilize himself more as like, oh, he's an idiot, but he like means well as a character, <laughs> as opposed to being completely lacking of any empathy whatsoever, but also anything of interest at the same time. <laughs> I'll take the Chris Rock version. No, I I would I'll I'll prefer I'll prefer heaven. <laughs> I have never heard anyone say that. I'm really happy, Adam. <laughs> I just hate Warren Beatty that fucking much. Jesus, um, dude, you have a lot of tension with Warren Beatty. Oh God, let's not even get started with other actors. No, so, so uh, Warren Beatty, he's like he's all right. <laughs> well, look, I always say in his uh, Annette Benning years, he has at least become more. Oh, he's a charming doofus who doesn't appear on the screen that much. <laughs> when I've seen him at like award shows, he's just like the arm candy for Annette Benning. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't look angry in the background of Madonna's like sex videos. Oh God, or Truth uh, or Dare. <laughs> his whole oh, bitter. Where he's just so bad in the background and bitter. Like yeah, whatever you want to do, fuck it. He's drinking while she's getting like nude photograph with dudes with like strap-ons on and he just looks miserable yep. very miserable very interesting watch i'm sorry ryan who was your favorite of the female character <laughs> <laughs> uh can I, can I, my favorite female character was madonna with the strap-on guys <laughs> very early appearance uh, for her as well her and carrie it's very interesting <laughs> uh no um favorite i i agree with you on julie christie i think i think she does have probably the more interesting arc but i gotta go goldie hawn because she's she's best girl and i i adore her she's so sweet and awesome and nice well i will also give it she has i think one of my favorite scenes in the movie which is her last scene in which after she's hooked up with tony bill who by the way just came off of winning a best picture oscar for the sting right before he appeared in this movie, because he produced that movie. Weird, interesting fact I didn't know about. But um, she ends up going over 
to um you know uh, to get her stuff out of warren Beatty's place and she's just like dude who the fuck even are you and like tell me that like either you don't love me or anything like that or whatever just actually be fucking honest with me because i know you're just gonna like keep fucking me over it's like she actually gets a the biggest confrontation bit because even julie christie's just like oh i don't know i'm i i got other shit <laughs> i'm gonna leave <laughs> as opposed to goldie actually confronts like dude you're a tool <laughs> Go fuck yourself. No, I agree. And her bit, you know, where she tells him, like, okay, well, I'd like you to leave now. And the look on his face, this fucking scumbag weasel, this, you know, tanned catcher's mitt of a man, uh, you know, looks at her like, you mean me? Like, you fucker. I just can't. Oh, what a piece of shit. That, that's, again, it, it's, it, well, Warren Beatty might be piece of shit in real life i don't know i've never met the man i'm gonna go and err on the side that he is but uh it's the character in this he's just such a scumbag and like you said he just ruining an adorable little goldie hawn like she doesn't even want to take a job you know because she doesn't want to leave him and leave him by himself and it just oh i fucking oh I, uh, Thomas, who's your favorite of the female characters? Uh, I think I said Julie Christie <laughs> before, but I do want to mention at least to, to hold some slight praise toward Beatty, and I guess more in terms of the way the movie kind of uh, recreates sort of the hairdresser scene. My mother's a hairdresser, and I can tell you that um, having gone to her shop many times, sort of, not necessarily the decor, which looks very 70s, but sort of the way that hairdressers like interact with each other, and the way that particularly, like, Beatty kind of handles, like, doing hair while at the same time talking to some other person and kind of going in and out, that feels very accurate. Um, I will just say, though, that the I think the biggest interesting indicator is a big influence on this movie with that character was John Peters. He was a hairdresser at the time for Barbara Streisand, and then he became a producer. He failed upward and became the guy that Kevin Smith jokes about where he's just like, he wanted a giant spider in the middle of Superman. Oh my god, that dude? That guy. <laughs> Oh. Holy shit. <laughs> hey, did you catch the William Castle cameo? That's true, yes. William Castle, producer of The House on Haunted Hill and Schlockmaster, is the guy who tries to proposition, I believe, was it Julie Christie, right? Yeah, Christie had the, yeah, I'll get you anything you want. Yes, that, <laughs> that's very true, yes, yes. And even, like, the, you know, there's there's fun bits, like, even we mentioned Carrie Fisher, and there's a lot of weird things about her, particularly her, mo half of her dialogue in her one scene when she's talking to Beatty is... The F slur, not fuck, the other F slur, um, and there's a lot of that. There's a well, that's there's true, a lot. which is at least faithful to the time, but is also just kind of weird watching now. But I will say, she does have the great timing on where being like, "Can we be friends? Yeah, let's be friends. Want to fuck?" <laughs> like the timing on that <laughs> is genius and shows even from that age she knew how to like time a joke out. And what a scumbag he is! Yep, he's like, yeah, guess I gotta. Yep. Uh... Uh, and he's wearing the female pendant around his neck. I don't know if anybody noticed that. Oh, that's like true. Like the, the female sign. He's wearing it. Oh, God. Uh, just in his greased up, oiled chest hair. Just awful. And a lot of the scenes were like, it's him, like, there's a point where he confesses down to Goldie Hawn about just like, you know, I want to go, like, settle down with you and take you out to a movie on the weekends and all this other shit. It, I get that it, we're getting this character who probably isn't being genuine and we're kind of, that's the point of it to some degree. But also, it's just like, why do I want to follow him? Because he also doesn't have anything kind of interesting inside of his empty head. He doesn't have much of this personality. That I would argue Beatty's displayed in a couple other things that I've seen since. But I, it just here, it just seems like, this dude, I would never want to be around. 
Oh, dude, especially he's wearing a full denim outfit that's unplugged <laughs> all the way down to the bottom. Then he has like a black tank top on underneath it and a fucking neckerchief. Like, he also this. got fucking turquoise jewelry, my oh, guy. Oh, a bunch of topaz. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that <laughs> shit too. That shit bugged <laughs> me so bad. <laughs> Why are you wearing your bracelet above the watch? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Dude, Take I off love, some of the rings. I fucking love fashion critic Adam over here. This is the greatest. <laughs> Welcome to Adam's fashion corner. Girl, that denim doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, motorcycle was sick, though. I'll give him that. That was, was nice as fuck, actually. That was a nice motorcycle. Yeah, I liked his hair. Yeah, dude, that hair was like feathered to the extreme. Yeah, dude, like, it was what the hell? It looked what like the Farrah like Fawcett poster. True. It doesn't really bad. Honestly, you know what I kept thinking of while watching this, too, is a movie that weirdly feels inspired by this, even though it wouldn't seem that way, is, it's like, imagine if Forrest Gump didn't have a low IQ and he just fucked a lot. Like, he nice. probably, he probably would pass yeah. decently with an IQ test, but this guy just, he wanders around from place to place, speeding people, uh, famous events from the time happen in the background, but instead of just, like, life is like a box of chocolates, it's like, life is me getting down with you, girl. Like, that's what the movie right, feels exactly. like to me. These, yeah, these are my magic scissors. <laughs> <laughs> And it feels just as kind of shallow, but also embracing of that kind of boomer culture as Forrest Gump is, weirdly, despite being in, like, 75, not even a decade after this movie's supposed to be set. It feels like we're kind of putting in more of the stuff where it's like, even though it's trying to be kind of a criticism of that time, it's also trying to very much be like, but yeah, people were styling and fucking, right? Ain't it cool? <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's weird. I think it's why I, I kind of at least don't hate this movie maybe as much as Adam. But I find it kind of interesting, and I get why Criterion has it in its collection, but also I'm just like, it's not one of the ones for me. Yeah. Whatsoever. And those are my final thoughts, basically. Ryan, what about your final thoughts on Shampoo? Very similar. I, I don't hate it nearly as much as Adam does. You know, I own it, and I probably will maybe never go back to rewatching it. It's it's really a one-and-done kind of thing. I... I the women are much more interesting than Beatty is. Although I think to a certain degree, we maybe came down a little harsher on, on Warren Beatty than, than need be They're They're definitely for, for someone who's writing and acting on there, I'll, I'll give him a little bit of credit and, but it's mostly because of that sick hairdo. Um, but yeah, overall it's, it's, it's just, it's not a terrible movie there's much better hal ashby films in the collection but it's a very bland movie yeah also just briefly with hal ashby um he also kind of did a similar thing with being there which feels like good forrest gump great forrest gump phenomenal great movie um but also yes. it's weird like he kind of followed like even harold amon as well just kind of followed like oh here's this strange person kind of interweaving into people's lives and how he just kind of does his weird shenanigans but with those other two movies they're very clear outsiders as opposed to, like, Warren Beatty things like, hey, I'm an outsider, because I fuck a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an outsider, because I'm so cool. <laughs> right, it, it feels kind of weird. But, Adam, any final thoughts that aren't just fuck Warren Beatty? 
Well, no. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give him any credit because he'll take that credit and he will fuck it. You know, like I said, it's just a boring, meandering movie, man. I, I can't get behind the lead character. I can't sort of just find any redeemable qualities in a lot of the characters. It, it's a story I don't really care to follow. People who don't know what the Criterion Collection is, like people who do think it's just a pretentious thing and, and, and things like that. This is the type of movie they're referring to. This type of movie that they feel is only offered through their criteria and the sort of the the poignant pieces of time and these sort of movies that were important when they came out. And that's not all they are. This just happens to be a bad one of the bunch. Very true. And well, that's the end of that long meandering conversation about that long meandering movie. Uh, but before we get to hopefully a much less meandering conversation, here is a promo for an ESO so you can queue up right after hours. What is the Soul Forge podcast? Join Sean and his guests as they talk about sex, geekiness, witchcraft, Star Trek, awkward dates, poetry, life, the universe, and everything else. Interviews have included writers, atheists, a rap star from Australia, a reality TV star, and a sex goddess from San Diego. If you have a story to share or just want to listen to one, check out the Soul Forge podcast. The Soul Forge. Let's find out together. All right, and here we are with our more recent feature, our good feature, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) All sorts of accents in that. So, Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, came out much more recently, last year, in fact, at least in France, um, in on September 19th, 2019, though it was released in the States February 20th of 2020. Um, and was one of the last movies I saw in the theater, interestingly enough. And it just kind of made me miss the theater, honestly, rewatching it again here. Um, but I want to emphasize that since this is a far more recent movie, and when I think all of us to some degree would encourage people to see, we're going to be a bit non-spoilery when I ask your initial thoughts, and then we're going to dive deep into spoilers. So, okay. first off, Ryan, uh, do you like this movie? You like Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Dude, I fucking love this movie. Uh, it's It was my number one film of last year, because I saw it last year, which says a lot, because I thought Uncut Gems was going to have that number one spot for sure. Uh, but when I saw this film, it completely blew me out of the water. It's nothing short of a masterpiece. Not a fan, got it. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, I agree with a lot of Ryan's sentiments, so I'll just yield my time briefly just to give a brief plot synopsis for people who might not be aware. People who've heard this movie, all your fancy friends saw, and you're like, hey, what's this movie about? So it takes place in the um, 18th century and stars, um, I'm going to apologize for fucking up these names, uh, Nome Merlant, who plays Marianne, who is a painter, who is assigned to paint a portrait of this woman, uh, Heloise, uh, played by Adele Hainel. Heloise is going to be married off to this man who um, had previously been betrothed to the sister, her older sister, who ended up committing suicide right before that. And the whole thing is uh, Heloise will not stand still and pose for a portrait, 
So um, her mother emphasizes to Marianne to, hey, just kind of like be her friend on walks and kind of try and sketch her out as you go along. So she can't really pose or anything like that. But as, you know, they spend a lot of time in isolation on the sort of island where they're at, um, they get to know each other a bit more, they get to be more friendly, and uh, even more than friendly, let's just say. People be fucking. I was avoiding spoilers, but yes, people be fucking. <laughs> yeah, no but... spoilers. <laughs> oh, come on, you can watch the trailer. Probably. That's true. Yes. But Adam, you'd heard about this movie from a lot of people, including me. You. Yes. You mostly. True. Mostly me. Right. Yes. Um, My other circles were all talking about Sons of Anarchy reruns. (laughs) Right. (laughs) True. True. But um, you finally saw it because you saw it on Hulu. We should mention it's not on the Criterion service, but Hulu currently. And uh, what did you think of it without going into more spoilery details? Uh, Without getting into it, I'm going to say that. I did not expect much out of it. I am historically not a period sort of piece fan. Uh, that's my mother's fault because all she did was watch the Jane Eyre and Jane Austen movies when I was growing up. And I literally hate them because uh, of the, the word Mr. Darcy has burned into my brain. Uh, if you watch the BBC version of uh, little women it's it's a mr darcy mr darcy mr darcy and i'm like oh my fuck fuck mr darcy i believe that's pride and prejudice not little women but go I don't on give a yeah shit. that's how much i care <laughs> whatever i'm sorry guys that i mixed it up oh jeez, can i still be part of the show um, <laughs> so yeah i did not expect uh much out of this to the point where when i watched the trailer i audibly went oh boy we'll see how this goes and a about a third of the way through, maybe even close to half, I was still like, uh, I don't know. And then by the end, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, everything sucks. This is all so tragic and beautiful. Yeah, this one got me. This was a good one, man. This this one was a really, really good movie. It's, it's a beautiful sort of romance story. Uh, set against patriarchy and coming to terms with your what is your proposed station in life and what that's the consequences of that station are. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Yes, good, good. My plan works perfectly. <laughs> um, but but no, yeah, uh, I'm I'm really glad to hear you loved it, or at least really liked it. Could have used more Warren Beatty. Could have used more. <laughs> <laughs> What's also interesting because as we'll we'll go start going into more spoiler things. So tread lightly. Anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but um, it's weird that they're like you mentioned the patriarchy. I like the fact that that looms over the movie, yet without having male actors with more than like a couple lines. Because like there's the guy at the beginning who delivers her to the island. There's um the guy who says bonjour, and they're like near the end before she leaves, right? And then the guy who's at the art. Uh, exhibit telling her like oh your father painted this is beautiful it's like no it's not uh, i painted it under his name oh okay like those are the only three speaking roles we have in this two-hour movie for men which i'm glad for because honestly this feels yes. so much like a movie that couldn't be made by a man or even a straight woman because uh, the director writer we should mention is uh celine shiyama and uh she does such a phenomenal job of making this romance movie that isn't about sort of like the male conquest kind of thing and it's so much more about like let's actually get to know each other it's so much about the build-up yeah yeah that's i mean yeah that's basically you know how hard it had to have been to sort of make this movie knowing that one of the main leads was her ex yes <laughs> i mean that's gotta be 
rough, dude. <laughs> Fucking hell. You know, a lot of people might be turned off by a movie like this because there's no excitement to the movie as far as big wars happening or looming, you know, sort of all this awful shit. The, the looming uh, sort of problem in the movie is that ultimately uh, they can't have what they've discovered together. And it's it it's heartbreaking in a way to where it's so realistic and it's so sort of like, you know, everybody's had these sort of relationships with either with friends or with lovers or things like that to where, you know, it's, you know, it's just not going to work out. You know, it isn't. And yet you, you both dive in headlong because you just want to enjoy what you have at the time and as much time as you have. And I, I got to say, man, I am so happy that they did not see each other again. I, I To me, that's what makes it a perfect sort of story to where there's not this big grand sort of reconnection. Uh, spoiler alert or not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass. But there's, <laughs> you know, it is a period film and it's for a reason just because of, like I said, with the the arranged sort of marriage idea and all that, because obviously that doesn't really exist in, in a lot of today's culture. I mean, it does still exist, but not so much in like modern culture, but at least between French uh, and Italian people. In yeah. Right, movie, right. 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 But it still feels incredibly timeless. The movie, um, the period you kind of get to me, I kind of forgot that it was taking place in, you know, the 1700s France. Yeah, it just became just story. Well, I think in particular, what works about that is the way that the movie shot, which is it's one of the most beautiful fucking movies I've ever seen. (laughs) Hell, it's gorgeous, dude. Like this is such a cliche. This is such a cliche to say, but every frame looks like a fucking painting. Like I would hang (laughs) any frame of this movie in a fucking picture frame. It's like Jehovah himself painted it. Well, you know, I think the island is really a character in the film if you think about it. By the way, dear boy, Jehovah starts with an eye. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, dude, it's gorgeous. And the acting, fucking hell, can these two carry a movie? Good God. Yeah. With very little dialogue. I mean, there is some dialogue in it, but not a lot. There's a lot of sort of just steely looks and glances. And, I mean, it just makes the movie, it makes their sort of connection so believable. Yes. Um, we should mention, though, there's at least a couple other, like, sort of major characters. There's Sophie played by Luana Bajarmi, who is the housekeeper, who I think is a fun presence in the movie. Well, not a fun, but at least an interesting presence in the movie. Well, yeah, I was going to say, uh, fun. No, no, that's true. Like not, a, not... <laughs> I retract my remarks, sir. <laughs> Strike that from the record. Um, Forget all those zany side characters in Portrait of a Lady that's, on Fire. That's very true. But I think she, she adds interesting dynamic to them, especially on sort of like a class level because she's sort of like the servant girl. And I think that them becoming friends with her works really well for the movie. And also, Valerie uh, Golino, who uh, plays the Countess character, which, Adam, do you know who she is? Yeah, of course I know who she is. She's fucking uh, the main squeeze in the Hot Shots movies. Yes. <laughs> which yeah, I, I didn't know until I like looked back and like, oh, who is this person? What? She's the one who had the Lady in the Tramp thing with fucking Charlie yep. Sheen. As soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, you cooked bacon on her belly. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> she misses Topper Harley. That's what all this is about. <laughs> That's who her husband is. We didn't see it, but Charlie, she's the, the Italian. <laughs> <husband>. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, uh, but uh, Ryan, Ryan, uh, how yeah. do you feel especially about sort of like what we're talking about in terms of the cast and how they kind of carry off with each other? I mean, I, I've this movie makes me cry every time. Like I cried the first time I saw it. I cried this time. Going back to uh, what what Adam was actually saying about you know how people like dive in headlong knowing it's it's you know not gonna work out that scene where the two of them are are kind of painting her together and she's like well when do we stop and she's like eventually we just we just do and it's just that whole scene you feel the weight of what's coming for them and you feel that like it's two people just acknowledging like this can't last anymore and it's heartbreaking and it tears me up and it's beautiful and it's happy and it's just everything a good romance story should be no yeah and i think it's also an interesting movie because so much of it is also at the same time about art and how the art actually kind of like both carries them together but also is the way for like marianne to process what's going on and how, like, Heloise kind of, comp- like, realizes that and how much it's just about, like, no, you need to look at certain things that are pretty awful, like the abortion scene, which I think is one of the most yeah. beautifully handled scenes in the movie. And how it's like, look, this is a really upsetting thing that's happening to some degree, but you really have to, like, take that and picture it. You have to actually, like, do this because it's not something that's depicted often. And even in the interviews, like, the cast are talking about, like, yeah, a scene like that isn't really depicted in movies that much, even. And it feels, it's a scene where it's, like, it's there's a, somewhat of a tragedy in terms of, like, oh, she's having to go through all this bullshit because she doesn't want a kid. But at the same time, there's a strongness to the fact that Sophie's doing this. And especially the fact that she's holding that baby's hand the whole time. It, yeah. It's, like, such a beautiful statement about, like, she doesn't do this because, like, fuck kids. She's like, no, she really, like, cares about kids, but no, she, she can't raise one. She doesn't want that in her life. I love that yeah. idea. I love that the movie's able to do so much of this, and it's through, like I mentioned, not a lot of dialogue, a lot more of just, like, looks, but that say so much. Every single, like, look that these two give to each other creates so much, and the scenes where they, sh- like, really, you can tell they're falling in love with each other, like the bit where Marianne's playing the piano, and Heloise the entire time is, like, looking at her just like, oh, this... This dorky motherfucker. She's so pretty. <laughs> that sealed the fucking deal right there. Yeah. That piano It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, that was it. <laughs> like, that was it, son. She, she was like, yeah, I'd be liking her. And I get it. Yeah. Like, I get it. <laughs> Just the eyes on these two. Jesus Christ, man. These deep, deep, almost black, they're so brown eyes. I will say, like, early on when I was watching, even in the theater, I was kind of a bit more in your camp. Like, okay, this is a bit slow to go, but we'll see. The scene that really started hooking me in was the moment where um, Heloise is in the house for the first time, and Marianne walks down and sees her in the black cloak kind of thing, uh-huh. and then she follows her outside the front door. You're immediately immersed and swathed in the color and all the Especially, we should mention, it's shot in 8K. It's not shot on film. They were contemplating doing it on film, but they're like, no, we have to like get the 8K to make you feel like you're immersed in this environment. And it's true. Like, I was watching this in a regular theater. It's like, fuck, I would watch this on IMAX. Like, it's it's not an IMAX movie by any extent, but it feels like you're just as immersed as you are when, like, Christopher Nolan, I don't know, puts the Batman in some fucking bullshit action sequence. I'm even yeah. more immersed watching her just, like, follow this woman and potentially she's about to, like, jump off and then that great shot where she just turns around Heloise and just looks straight into the camera 
and you're just immediately like, yep, I'm hooked. Go on, please. Wrap <laughs> the attention. Yeah, I was like eating a Whopper because I really wanted one. <laughs> As one does while watching Criterion releases. I've eaten it. And it was, del- don't get me wrong, it was delicious, of course. You know, it's a Whopper. It's the All-American Flame Grilled Charboiled Whopper. Pick it up at your local Burger King. Uh, but, so I'm watching it, and, yo, I put my Whopper down and it got cold. Because I'm like, I'm just, I, I, I don't want to eat this garbage. It's beneath me. Well, I'm this watching greatest this movie. fucking endorsement, Adam, of all time. <laughs> put that on the next edition. <laughs> Criterion. <laughs> Dude, no, it's just like, yeah, this movie, like I said, I, it, it took me a minute to get into it, but it's, like I said, I think it's my predisposed sort of reluctance for period films. But once I was in, I mean, it was hook, line, and sinker, dude. I mean, up until the last, you know, main shot, which, oh, oh. my wife comes out and that scene's on, and she's like, oh, is it almost over? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, oh, what's going on? What, what? What what's what's going on? Why is she so? What's happening? <laughs> oh no! Oh look at her! Oh! <laughs> Without seeing a second of the film, that's the only scene she saw, and she's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like, yeah, no. Well, no, that's what I love about it. Honestly, it's just the fact that so much of the movie is like this buildup that we're talking about. And how much it's just like it's this chase romance, kind of like our like we're getting nudging closer, nudging closer. She literally sees her catch on fire during another great scene where we actually have music enter the fray, which we should mention. No score, which is fascinating. I didn't even notice it when I was watching until like maybe that scene where they all the ladies around the fire start singing, which is beautiful, which is perfect. Yes, I, I love the way that that's done. And then she's actually on fire, and of course at that point you're just like oh just kiss each other and it's like the thing is we're, we're three we're three straight dudes talking about this movie that might sound offensive to some degree to like or just like very like bro come on right just kiss each other but in context of the movie it is not a titillation thing to me as much as just like you two crazy kids get together come on just, we just need this even to relieve our tension in the audience and then they do and it's not like a big ex- exploitative lesbian scene there have been plenty of movies that kind of do that especially those directed by men and it's just a much more intimate subtle but really beautiful scene of them just connecting as two people and right after that point once we have you know our the countess come back the last 15 minutes of this movie are like perfection like I've never oh. seen a more perfect like final fifteen minutes of a movie. Yeah. Oh, when she when she hugs her, like hugs her goodbye, and I, I'm just like, oh no! And it's like a split second, but you can tell she's like, oh fuck, I don't want to let you go, but I gotta let you go. Yes. Like it, it, you, oh, oh fuck you, Thomas, you piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> well, and then even like looking back at her, and there's been all these images where she sees uh, Heloise in a white dress. And it's like this ghostly figure, and then looks back at her, and she's in her wedding dress. That's the dress she's been seeing this whole time. That's what this all was uh-huh. about. Just the build up to like, oh my god, you're gonna lose her to this dude who she doesn't give a fuck about. And then into the painting thing where, oh my god, the, the fucking, <laughs> she had the book, the page, she, she the opened the page. Oh god, I can't even talk about it like on objective creative terms because it's just like it's too beautiful. <laughs> it's absolutely it's, perfect. It's not a movie that you really analyze. It's just a movie you feel. As stupid as that sounds, it's such an emotionally based film that, like, that's that's where you have to watch it from. I think you're right. I think it works on so many levels because that's what it is. It's just based on your 
pure sort of emotions that maybe you've experienced your own life or just the knowing of what love and loss is or things like that to where like I went in it not knowing a ton about it like Thomas told me some about it and like I said I watched the trailer but I didn't know what to expect really and that's exactly where it hit me pure sort of animalistic emotional level it's triumphant in its execution of that absolutely no yeah and i think it's a weird thing where like director shiami has said many times like look this is an inherently political movie which is true because it's so much about like patriarchal forces screwing over this romance but at the same time you're so really immersed in that story that that's just more of like it's the antagonist as opposed to the movie directly pointing to what the issue is it's just like no it's the having this like great isolation of these characters inside this one place being able to be who they are and then that's all ripped away from them it's really like the <laughs> i might be dismissing the movie by saying this it's like the most invested you could ever be in like a summer romance movie like they went off to camp and now camp's over <laughs> this shit happens. it's like the most artfully done version of that very basic idea dude i love the the whole like Three straight guys came together to talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and all we did was like, I put down my Whopper, and these bitches went to camp. <laughs> I was like, kiss already, ladies. Yeah, two hours, and I barely saw them naked, but still got a little bit. <laughs> I counted nine nipples. <laughs> I, I, I would definitely recommend reading other much more educated people's essays and such about this movie. <laughs> like, even... Such uh, the Criterion essay. <laughs> what, literally, I was about to say, Dana Stevens' great essay that's attached with the movie is phenomenal. Yeah. And, like, really goes through all the stuff we're saying in much more artful, delicate terms that are much more elaborate and brilliant, as opposed to us, like we said, just like, oh, man, they kissed and then they left. It's such a bummer, bro. Such a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Summer loving had me a blast. <laughs> <laughs> but, that girl was on fire oh, <laughs> oh well 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 i think we should probably end this discussion before people realize how further we are idiots here so ryan your final thoughts on portrait of a lady on fire i already fucking threw out the word masterpiece i mean i can't take it back it's it's a perfect fucking movie it's it's beautiful it's it's incredible you should watch it adam i mean i basically agree uh this is one that you know a lot of people myself included in the beginning would maybe be turned off by just because of you know even the trailer doesn't sell it for what it is or or anything like that when you when you get the basic plot synopsis a lot of people are going oh that just sounds like artsy garbage and it's not it, it is absolutely uh at its core a perfectly executed emotional love story in every way from, you know, the start of feelings happening to the love and loss aspect of it to the sort of forced moving on, but maybe they become comfortable, but they still miss love each other and they always will sort of idea. Uh, it's just, it, it is pretty much expertly done and it looks fucking amazing too. Like they, there's always something, beautiful happy on screen even in the silent moments like it, it's just it's a it's a masterpiece of uh sort of filmmaking on a basic level and on a story level and an acting level no yeah i think really this is the movie that kind of reminds me why i love just film in general but also criterion specifically 
because this feels like something that, like, on paper, like you mentioned, Adam, someone would be tempted to watch it. And they'd be like, oh, but I don't know. It's like in French and it's subtitles. Kind of like people who, when Parasite won a bunch of things, like, I don't know. Is it subtitles? I want to read the movie. Whatever crap. What I like about Criterion is that they're able to, like, give, especially a lot of world cinema, a pretty big release in America and are able to, like, give people the chance to see a different perspective. Especially in this case, given, like, it's a much more of, like, a lesbian specific perspective with the director and writer and everything it feels so much like this is why you know sort of that statement of like representation matters if you dismiss that it's it's because like we need stuff like this because we've seen plenty of love stories we've seen plenty of other things like done by people who get the chance to make those movies all the time but having this particular story creates a completely different perspective that like we don't normally see and that's something that we should embrace so much because you get a story that even if you want to be you know remove like heavyweight thinking about it this is just like an excellently told entertaining beautiful story that has all these great layers to it that you can actually embrace because it's such an entertaining movie that unfolds upon you and i i wish more people would give stuff like this a chance if you're kind of against you know, like seeing a period piece or a French film, any of the other stuff. This is just like, regardless of where you're coming from, it is a beautiful story that has so much to say, but at the base level, it's about love, man. That's what it's all about. Much like our first feature. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is kind of weird we talk about two movies where it's about people fucking, and one is this beautiful thing, and the yep. other one's shampoo. <laughs> yeah, but hey, a lot of big hair in both. It just shows the diversity and range of the Criterion Channel, in general. <laughs> but that is the end of our discussion of our two specific features, but we have some other things to do before we do our picking for next episode, at the end of this one, where um, every Monday at Pod on Twitter and Facebook, we ask you all about, like, hey, what are your favorite or least favorite movies related to whatever topic we're doing? So we asked you all about the Criterion Collection and the channel as well, the streaming service. Um, and first off, we got James Rodriguez, our loyal... Uh, friend of the show who says the UK doesn't have the streaming service so I'll highlight 12 Angry Men, Mulholland Drive, Parasite, and the Before Trilogy for being the other masterpieces that they are and I'm so baffled that Armageddon is a part of the collection. Was it in Michael Bay's contract or something? Christian Alvarez says uh, Criterion Collection is the gold standard for special edition Blu-ray releases in my opinion packing almost all of their releases with essay booklets and special features. Some of my favorites being On the Waterfront, Repo Man, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, Seconds, uh, Monetary Pop, Five Easy Pieces, and The Lone Wolf and Cub Collection. Uh, the only underwhelming Criterion Blu-ray I own personally is I Married a Witch. Uh, it has a great essay booklet in it, and the transfer is gorgeous, but the lack of bonus features is shocking for a company like Criterion. Other than that, the resounding consensus of the bad movie in the collection seems to be Armageddon. Brian Kane says, I, I recently picked up Come and See, a Soviet film with the most unflattering portrait of World War II I've ever seen. It's not a fun watch. It's a compelling descent into hell. Um, I also recently learned that Armageddon is on Criterion, which is certainly an important milestone in American cinema, if not for the worse. Um, I feel like it was added because it represented a monumental shift in Hollywood's functioning. I just always assumed Criterion meant note. Mallory Somerville says, I could easily list 100 films, but I'll stick to uh, what has made the biggest impact on me. All the Powell and Pressburger films, Technicolor masterpieces that changed my life. Uh, the world of Japanese cinema, especially Onibaba, which has haunted me, and Late Spring, uh, though it's hard to choose just one from Ozu. Um, his films have been healing in these troubling times. And then A Night of Kabiria uh, passed by me until this last year, and it was one of the best movie experiences I've ever had. 
And then Elwood Tiberius at Elwood underscore Tiberius says, haven't seen a bunch, uh, but my lower brow answers for worst would be Armageddon. Best by no criteria other than I've watched, owned, and enjoyed. Most of them would be Dr. Strangelove, Harold and Maude, and most Wes Anderson movies. I feel like these are the basic as hell answers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not inaccurate, but at the same time, a bunch of great movies. Yeah. yeah, they're good movies. They're on the Criterion Collection for a reason. Yeah, but Armageddon. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Which, like, for, for, for context, there was early on, like, the in a, sort of, like, the beginning of the DVD, end of the Laserdisc era, they released both The Rock and Ar- Armageddon. And I feel like it's just an interesting factoid at this point for me that both those were kind of released, and it feels like them kind of at a weird fledgling point where they kind of had to put it out. And to be fair, there are other things, like, they released Halloween on Laserdisc, which isn't a movie that yep. he immediately points out to being, like, a Criterion release. But at the same time, we argue is important. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Rock in Armageddon feels like, uh, we need to maybe uh, get some more eyes on the company and maybe make a couple more bucks so we can keep doing the the ones that we want to do. Honestly, my hot take would be, if you're going to put a Michael Bay on Criterion and Blu-ray, DVD, and everything, I would Pain genuinely say Pain and Gain. Yeah. Yeah! I agree. Complete the trilogy, Criterion. I want a Michael <laughs> Bay set that's just Armageddon. Oh, the Rock and, and no, no, no. Ryan wants like a one, one of those big like the Godzilla set, but for Michael. Yes. Bay. <laughs> okay. Uh. Real talk. I have the Armageddon Criterion. First off, all your fans are dumb. Uh, the the Criterion <laughs> is great. Um, the Criterion is great and beautiful, and everyone's dumb but Ryan. The Rock is my Holy Grail Criterion because I can't find it, and I've been looking for years. <laughs> But pain and gain, that is the shit. That is what we need on the Criterion Collection now, today. That way our country can heal. <laughs> That's true. If, if like, Inside the Well and Davis and other Coen Brothers movies can be on there, I would argue it kind of has that same kind of satirical bent that would make it worthy. Ryan, when I yes. told you you were doing this, you sent me a giant-ass list of movies that was very comprehensive. <laughs> A little, little, little couple of little movies. It's just starting out with Criterion is kind of hard. And admittedly, like I said, I I would just blind buy a lot of movies. And it's kind of hard to know what you might be into or where to start. So I made a couple suggestions for, for different genres. Uh, if you're into action movies, uh, Jackie Chan's Police Story 1 and 2, Seven Samurai, Straw Dogs, and Thief. If you like romance, uh, the Before Trilogy, which was mentioned, uh, Harold and Maude, Cold Water, uh, Princess Bride, Paris, Texas, uh, Sid and Nancy, and uh, un- I-, I don't know how to say this one, Umbrellas of Sherbro? Sherbro. You-, you-, you know. Sherbro, the- yeah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There, you know the movie. Um, <laughs> fucking drama. All right, don't go through all of these movies. Man. I won't fucking do it. You know I will. I'm... <laughs> I'm so hyped about this. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's about it. That's about it. Is, uh, is Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium on any it's of these? Shockingly not. It's, it's a it's, Oh, it's come a, on. Criterion is check, bullshit. Maybe check the Laserdisc version. <laughs> that, that's true. Maybe the, the Laserdisc. Laserdisc forever. Fuck DVDs. <laughs> Which is a quote from Kevin Smith's Criterion commentary for Jason Gamby. 100% a fact. So ahead of the curve, Batman. But, I mean, I, I would say 
of sort of the ones that were kind of floated around. Um, I, I mean, there, there's ones that you would obviously probably know, like a Princess Bride, but there's even been a few from our show that have been on the Criterion Collection, which we should mention. We have covered previously films like Punch Drunk Love, Brazil, Night of the Hunter, Seventh Seal, Shivers, Godzilla All Monsters Attack, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Kronos, Inside the Wall and Davis, Dead Ringers, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and upcoming The Irishman, which is a good thing to point out, too. They're starting to release Netflix movies in this physical media, which I'm for, because if Netflix mm -hmm. shutters down, stuff like that, or Marriage Story, which is also being released that way, I think just got released, right? Yeah, about a couple months back. Yeah, yeah. Like, stuff like that might, you know, disappear off the face of the earth if Netflix finally has their debt catch up with them. <laughs> if those guys break their legs over at Netflix. But I guess here's another question of what would you guys want to have a Criterion edition that doesn't? What, what's a movie that you think Aww. deserves that kind of attention? Adam, I don't know. You See, go? that's the thing. Well, yeah, I don't know what they've released, man. Like, that's the thing. I, I'm not as, like, fucking crazy about it like you guys are. Like, Heat? That doesn't, and I would agree. Yeah, Heat would deserve it. You'd be dumb. They already did Thief, like, because you mentioned, and that's just a fucking phenomenal film. So good. Yes. I could see, like, even, like, Collateral could be cool. Yes! <laughs> you know, some Michael Mann films I'd always be down for. I'd be down for either Open Miami Your Vice. Eyes. Miami Vice, I'd be down for. I'd oh, be down for either Open Your Eyes or Vanilla Sky. You know, things like that I, I think could really work. Maybe throw some more Cronenberg stuff on Criterion. That that could really work. Uh, but, you know, that, that's about where I sit with it. Like I said, I'm not 100% sure of everything they have. Like, I don't know. Did they do To Kill a Mockingbird? No, not I, yet. I don't believe so, no. Should. God damn it. <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird, Arsenic and Old Lace, Some Like It Hot. Some Like It Hot does have a Criterion. Yeah, that one well, does. Take, take that one out. You know, it's just things like that. You know, I would say in terms of, I agree with you, like, where I was thinking more in terms of, like, filmmakers who don't have a lot or aren't really on there at all. Like, I know there's weird right stuff, especially in America with this, but Hayao Miyazaki's movies deserve to be on there, oh. especially when there's not as yeah. much animation. I would love to have, like, especially, like, Spirited Away or oh. um, Nausicaa uh, of the Wind or even Totoro would be great in that edition. And also even uh, this one, speaking to the French of it all, I'm surprised Jean-Pierre Junet the guy who made, like, Amelie and Delicatessen, City of Lost oh, Children, yeah, he doesn't have any yeah, that... releases in Criterion, which baffles oh, me. That's... You know what else, you know what else uh, real quick? Uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf, Le Pac de Lou. I don't know if you guys know that movie. No. That's the French kind of werewolf action movie, right? It's not at all. Well, yeah, it's not a werewolf movie, though. I mean, that's kind of what they build it as here. Okay. It's not a werewolf. It's a very period film. It is there is a lot of action, mm -hmm. but it's it's fucking dope and it looks legit as fuck. Yeah, uh, I think that could be a really cool one too. What about you, Ryan? Tom, just take a wild guess. If you had to guess one movie that I might suggest should be a Criterion, um, is it is it Spring Breakers? Yeah, <laughs> I think it would be. Spring Spring Breakers would be my like ultimate like dream selection uh, and honestly i think a lot of the a24 movies are deserving of uh release on yeah, criterion i would agree with that uh, I agree. because currently none of them are on there and that's bullshit i think there's a lot of movies that should be on criterion that aren't and um i think that we deserve um oh god i was just thinking about this the other day i love the gaspar noeve film oh uh 
there's a physical release of it, but it's like $23 and you have to get it imported into the country. And it's like, fuck that, dude. I want like a criterion of it and I want 3D. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call them 3D Blu-ray guys. I'm sure they're still in business. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, there's a lot of movies that I think are deserving of it. Um, I think Love Actually would be nice on Criterion. Yeah, but... that'd be like, I agree with that one. That would be that would actually be a really good. One. I like that movie a lot, actually. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky too. Yeah, I'm very surprised too that I don't think any of his movies have been released that way. I know Fincher has a couple, but it's like yeah. you you could. But really... there's worse films. I would throw like Marathon Man on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would throw green room uh main streets i don't know if that got one there's been a few no. scorsese's like i've been tempted for the last temptation of christ one from what i've heard oh, like, really dope um but even really? uh like irishman obviously they're putting that out i would say even like ryan if you had to pick a favorite i know it's like a child for you picking a favorite okay. criterion but of your the many that you have <laughs> what's like a really great one that you like cherish that's so hard um <laughs> Uh, okay, so... Pick three for okay. me. <laughs> uh, my Ingmar Bergman box set. <laughs> my my Godzilla box set. Mm-hmm. Antichrist. That's three, and, that's three. And, no, no, but there's more. There's Breathless. <laughs> no, but that's, that's three. I mean, te- technically uh, that's like, what? That's like 50 because you have two boxes. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I would say for me, three that I would definitely spotlight would be um, the Do the Right Thing box set, which I recently got, and it's phenomenal. It's yeah. a great transfer of that movie, and I love. Um, I mentioned before, but Night of the Hunter, I love especially how beautiful yes. that looks in black and white, and in like the crystal clear sort of HD restoration they did of it. And it's got phenomenal extras. Um, and then also, um, I would say Silence of the Lambs. I was wondering, like, is that a bit too pedestrian? But then in that presentation, it's a beautiful movie. I love what they did in terms of restoring that and really getting you immersed with all the special features and stuff in there. But I would say, speaking of Michael Mann, I think Manhunter would deserve the same treatment. Nice. I know it has like a Scream Factory release, but I, I, I think it would deserve other things. Which is decent. But yeah, I could, out of the ones I've seen, to name three that I really enjoyed, the Royal Tenenbaums, I absolutely loved. Bottle Rocket, again, same director, but still I love Bottle Rocket. And Night of the Hunter, for sure. But Night of the Hunter, for me, any medium he put it out, I'm like, yeah, it's Night of the Hunter. It's always going to be at the top three. Well, and even then, like, I'm waiting as we're recording this, like, tomorrow I'm going to be picking up the two I got at the sale, which were The Devil's Backbone. Ooh. Sauce. And Grand Budapest, speaking of Wes Anderson. Um, which Ooh. was actually, it's the first time I've ever double-dipped for a Blu-ray, because I got a Blu-ray back when it came out, and it's like, kind of a flimsy, like, all-right version of it. But I'm like, but that transfer and those extras, though, I need that. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, I love that one too. But thank you for all that feedback, everybody. And we also want to thank some other people out there, like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And thanks to our loyal Patreon supporters, where, you know, you, for just $1 a month, have the opportunity to help us with the show by picking individual movies we cover, like Shampoo. That was all you. We appreciate it. <sighs> Adam loves it. He was really glad you guys picked that. Um, And also you get to pick like individual topics we do overall. And we have bonus audio, like a bonus podcast we do every month. And also even outtakes. We should mention there's an outtake up there that's like 
very exclusive for all you patrons, where last week we did Sean Connery. That was not the original intention for last week's episode. We kind of hastily re-recorded the outro um, for the episode 129 so we could do Connery. And uh, you all at Patreon get to hear the picking for the episode that never was of Double H.W. Uh, Bill right now. Uh, that may never be. Who knows? May never be. Who knows? Yeah, we won't even say the topic in case we actually do do it later. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but also, of course, we want to thank our lovely returning guest, Ryan Cordman. Ryan, thanks for coming back on and sharing your Criterion love. Do you have anything to promote <laughs> out there? Uh, just my letterbox. Uh, you can find me on there, Ryan. Uh, uh, it's just Ryan Quarterman, uh, C-O-R-D-E-R-M-A-N. Both of us do a lot of uh, letterboxing. Mostly Ryan just does troll reviews, but they are very funny. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but speaking of where you can find us, you can find us, as I mentioned, at DEDBpod on Twitter and Facebook, where we ask you all for feedback stuff. And by the way, keep an eye out on that Facebook and Twitter page, because I'll be posting, uh, right around the time this episode comes out, the uh, Criterion collections of both Ryan and myself. Uh, we'll have some pictures up there so you can gawk and be amazed. You can also email us feedback, even, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, you can find me specifically on Letterboxd, but also Twitter and Instagram as at NotTheWho'sTommy. That's where I do all sorts of crazy shenanigans. And I also do some writing. MarianiThomas.wordpress.com is the blog I do that at. If things go well, I should have a review this week, we're releasing this, about uh, horror comedy Freaky. Ah, the Vince Vaughn fucking thing? Right, the Vince Vaughn movie from the guy who made Happy Death Day. That is Freaky Friday, but the people that switch are a young high school girl, and a Jason Voorhees-style serial killer. What shenanigans? <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans, yes. Um, and uh, for more shenanigans here, for Adam, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, yeah. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I don't do much on either, but I will always, uh, yeah, continue to do not much on either. But it is uh, uh, at Adam or Adam. So it's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. And uh, that's about it for me. I am keeping an incredibly low profile on the social meds and have been doing so for a little over a month. And I got to tell you, my sanity has uh, improved a little bit. Not by much, but a little bit. Yes. And to hear more of Adam's sanity just completely draining from him vocally, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening to us on the ESO Network, why not listen to all the other great shows, like the one we played a promo for in the middle? And uh, you can also dig into the archives for us on Podbean, where there's all of the stuff, including, like, episodes we don't have on the ESO Network. If nothing else, you could just rate, review, or share the show around a bit. That helps us. That gets more visibility out there in the ether. Yeah, no, and the thing is, we, you, you know, we've been preaching and bitching and, and asking for this since episode one, and I, and I feel like nobody's really uh, doing it. There's a couple people that do, but the rest of you fucks, like, <laughs> you know, it's not that hard. What the fuck, man? Like, if you're listening to this, just say, yeah, hey, I like this show. But, you know, whatever. Hey, no, it's cool. Enjoy free shit, you fucks. Yeah, they all, our real friends are all our Patreon friends. <laughs> <laughs> More than a bit, yes. But, before we leave, Adam, we gotta do our picking for next week, as we do. You have uh, two good movies for this topic, I have two bad movies. You've assigned them between 1 and 10 for your two, I've done the same for mine. And uh, this week we're doing a topic that was picked by our patrons. Once again, Patreon 
youtube.com slash gedbpod. Uh, you all picked for thriller subgenres for us to do, because we've contemplated doing thrillers before in the past, Adam, and we were always just like, but what angle do we do? And more importantly, that line between horror and thriller is so thin. So uh, we put all of our patrons up to the task of deciding which specific subgenre we do, and they picked psychological thrillers, which is probably the most sort of palpable of those subgenres, I would argue. Yeah, I agree, to the point to where, like, you know, movies like Science of the Lambs are considered a psychological thriller, and I'd argue it's more of a horror film, but whatever. Yeah, Ryan, how do you feel about that line between thriller and horror? Where do you kind of draw that line for yourself, if you do? Uh, I actually don't. If At a certain point, like... I like I kind of agree with Adam that uh, Silence of the Lambs I would count more as horror. It's you know depending on how gory it gets, then it kind of goes into horror. But up until that point, just anything that's kind of intense, I would kind of constitute as a horror thing. I kind of look at it like if it gets your heart pumping, and you're like, oh fuck, then thriller. If it fucking scares you and messes with you, horror. Yeah. That's a good distinction for it. But we'll be talking about the thriller side of things. And uh, usually, Adam and I would pick a number between 1 and 10 for each other's picks. But when we have a guest like uh, Mr. Ryan over here, they uh, choose a number between 1 and 10. So pick the most uh, esteemed, classy spine number. Three. Two good cho- oh, shit. Three. Okay. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> All right. At number one, I have the classic Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Oh my god. Oh, I'm so happy. I love that movie. <laughs> so great. It's so good. Oh, I have an excuse to watch Feud now. I just haven't. I should. At number 10, I had Mother from Darren Aronofsky. God damn it. <laughs> you were so sure about Tom's three, happy, it hurts you. But I'm sad. It could come back, Ryan. It could come back in our redemption episode. It does right. happen. That's true, yes. But now. My two bad choices, Ryan, number between 1 and 10. Um, I'm going to go 10 now because I got fucked last time. Well, this is interesting because actually this is a movie Adam mentioned earlier in the show. Um, Over here at number 9, I have a movie that I know you love, but has had at least a controversial dicey reputation to some degree. And it leans a bit more into sci-fi, but I would argue it has a lot of psychological thriller elements. It is Vanilla Sky. All right, win-win for me this week. Uh, <laughs> and to be fair, I'll just say up front, I've seen this movie, I don't hate it, but I think it's an interesting mess, which I would, I'm very interested to talk I, about with you in full I detail. Don't, I don't, I, no, no. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're definitely more excited than, than what would have been. At number three, I had Swim Fan. Oh, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> I could have had a swim fan and mother episode. Oh, no. I fucking oh, hate no. this show. <laughs> so we'll count you out as a Patreon supporter then, I guess. I'll sign up. <laughs> now you gotta save that money for all your criterions for stacks on stacks on yeah. stacks. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Vanilla Sky and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. That'll be one for the ages. Awesome. Very sure. Awesome. It's going to be awesome. Very sure. <laughs> but until then, gentlemen, we have to sit in our smoking jackets and discuss further about other Criterion releases. Let's go, boys. Mom, good night. Awesome. Ciao. Long.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.